Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Save Your Sanity Podcast. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler. Are you living with the chaos, confusion, and uncertainty that a toxic person loves to create? Is a partner, parent, ex, sibling, child, or coworker causing you to second-guess yourself? That can be crazy-making. I'm here to help you save your sanity. So let's get down to it and figure some things out now. Stay tuned. Hello, and welcome to Save Your Sanity, Help for Toxic Relationships. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler. Tonight, we're going to be talking about how to say no to shoulds and toxic shame. And this may be something you haven't really thought about the should business, but it's very important to think about. So we'll talk about that and a lot about toxic shame, toxic shame that has occurred uh, in childhood from a narcissistic or hijackal parent, how you've internalized it, what it means to you, what hijackals want you to experience when they try to shame you. And all of those pieces, because they're kind of under the radar, it's they're a basic operating system, but it's not really evident sometimes. So understanding this dynamic of shame is very, very important. Now, as we're talking about this, and as you're, you're joining us tonight, I hope that you have found what you need here. If you're returning, I'm assuming that you thought it was a good idea to come back and learn some more things, and you're always welcome. And if you're just joining me for the first time this evening, welcome. And if you find value here, please do support the program. We always appreciate that. It helps to defray the cost, keep it going in more countries, and adding new features to what we offer. So go to patreon.com slash sanity patreon.com slash save your sanity. Should. It's a word that you probably heard from the moment you drew breath. And you may recognize it as a, what do you mean I should? It seems to come out of most people's mouths really easily. I was once participating in a speaking contest, and I said a phrase that I think is very important and definitely apropos to talk about tonight, and I lost the speaking contest because I used this phrase, and I guess it was because my articulation was not as good as it should have been. Should. See how it creeps in? And I said, don't let anyone should on you. Now, of course, the people who were judging thought that I said something else that began with SH, but I really want you to think about not letting anyone should on you. And there's a reason for that, because the Oxford Dictionary says that the word should means used to indicate obligation, duty, and correctness, typically when criticizing someone's behavior. It's used to indicate obligation, duty, and correctness, typically when criticizing someone's behavior. Now, how many times as a child have you heard, you should do this? 
you need to do this. This is what you should do. This is how you should do it. This is the way you should do it if you want to do it correctly. And it just becomes part of you that someone is shooting on you. And then you start to should on yourself. And you internalize it, and it may not be something that you recognize. So I really wanted to paint it red tonight. Like, let's let's think of it as our own personal red flag if we're using this word should frequently. Because what is correct or best? Well, that's in the estimation of the speaker. Yes, we have some cultural norms that we've probably all decided are good things. But when somebody says you should do something or good people should do something, that is in the estimation of the speaker. And let's question it. Just because they think you should do it, does it mean you should do it? Do you have an obligation to do it? Do you have a duty to do it? Is it the only correct or accurate way to do something? Many times you'll find when dealing with hijackles using this word is that they think you should do it their way. You should do it to please them. You should do it to make them happy or make them look good or whatever. And we can get very, very inured to that. We don't even hear it after a while. We just take it and, oh, yeah, that's the right thing. That's the way, if I had it right, I would do it. Because you should. Now, I invite you to take some time to think about how frequently you say that. <laughs> you know that old trick about putting an elastic around your, around your wrist and every time you catch yourself doing something that you want to change, you just snap the elastic. Well, I wonder how many times each of us would snap the should elastic. So I put it in here for a very particular reason, because it's very related to shaming. And it's also related to another thing that you may have taken on as a, a, an ideal, and that is the idea of perfectionism. You know, the whole idea of perfectionism is to make you wrong, to make you small, to make you not good enough, to make you not up to par, to make you unworthy, right? That if you if you really had it together, you should be aiming for perfection. Well, now it gets compounded, doesn't it? You should be aiming for perfection. Now that gets really untidy and messy quickly. And yet it becomes part of the way that we speak and we don't even stop and hear it anymore. We internalize it. And that same thing happens with shame. And that's how they are related and why it's important to talk about them all together tonight. That healthy shame, yes, you know, it's not good to murder people. It's not good to kill animals. It's not good to uh, make divisions among people. The, and when you do it, you feel shame. I go, no, that wasn't good. I'm kind of embarrassed. That wasn't a good choice. Maybe even you say, I shouldn't have done that. That's healthy shame. You recognize it. You correct it. You make amends. And you go on and you don't repeat it. But toxic shame, that is a whole different thing. Toxic shame comes at us 
very harmfully psychologically because it's, it gets right into our nervous system. It's right in your gut. It's in that fight or flight or faint or freeze or fawn mechanism, part of the autonomic nervous system. And it is self-punishing. But the problem with toxic shame is it isn't over sometime soon. It is intended to last forever, to keep you feeling small, to keep you feeling less than, to keep you feeling not enough. And it will be implanted in you by a hijackal parent and perpetuated by other hijackals in your life. And then you will internalize it and you will be self-shaming perhaps. And that is a hijackal's idea of delight. Like, I don't even have to do it. You will knock yourself out, knock yourself down, make yourself wrong, and I don't have to do anything. That's how they can groom you into toxic shame. So it will cause us to feel alone and disconnected and maybe even get into some self-destructive behaviors. And it's definitely related to violence and aggression and depression and eating disorders and addiction, maybe even sleep disorders and bullying. Yes, bullying. It's a big deal, right? Because bullies are all about shaming you toxically. They want you to internalize that you're terrible. They want you to internalize you don't belong. They want you to internalize you are not good enough to belong to their club. And they want, therefore, for you to internalize toxic shame. And that's a really hard thing because toxic shame is a negative self-evaluation from all these messages that we got when we were little. And if those messages have been repeated by a parent throughout our our early life, and including maybe even into our adult life, because hijackals seldom change, so they're going to keep doing whatever they can to have control. And, and then you start to believe it. You start to believe that your worth is dependent on other people's opinions of you. Instead of making the transition to do I think I'm worthy, do I think I'm an okay person, do I like me well enough, that would be healthy. But if you're raised by hijackals or you're around hijackals, they want you to keep looking for validation from other humans. Now, that's always nice. It's always nice when someone else finds something good about you and validates you and brings it forward. But they want you to give over your power to their evaluation of you. And then you start looking to them for approval. And then they start to shape your behavior. So this toxic shame turns into a maladaptive co coping behavior because it's, it, you're now doing it to yourself. And, you know, you've seen adolescents in that situation where, where they're, they're almost telling you they're worthless before you tell them that they did a good job. And that means someone has shamed them terribly. But as I said, one of the distinctions between healthy shame and toxic shame is healthy shame, you're upset for a little bit. You figure it out, you think it through, you maybe feel badly. 
But toxic shame is intended to be the gift that keeps on giving, the thing that will always be there. It will grow and it will get worse. It's embedded. And the idea is to perpetuate it. And that's what makes you feel so small when you're with hijackals, is they're constantly shaming you. And I'm going to be very specific with some of these things um, because ordinary shame, of course, isn't pleasant, but you get over it, but not toxic shame. And here is some differences. And this comes from uh, a really good list, comes from an article on choosingtherapy.com. And it says the characteristics that differentiate toxic shame from typical shame or healthier shame is it makes you question your worth or cause you to feel worthless. I remember for a long time, not just for a moment when you're embarrassed or humiliated, but it causes you to feel worthless for a long time or question your worth. And it makes acknowledging your emotions uncomfortable because you have them associated with shame. And it causes depression and anxiety. And it causes you to frame your self-concept as I'm bad, I'm worthless, I'm not good enough, nobody wants to be around me, or I'm a bad person, and they'll extrapolate, I'm a bad person because I did a bad thing. That's big. Now, you're probably way ahead of me knowing that a hijackal is constantly going to push those buttons, aren't they? They're constantly going to make you feel less than and not enough. Constantly. Why? Because they cannot tolerate equality. You must be less than them. You must, must, must always be less than them. And as I said in the last episode, if you ever approach equality, they immediately panic and up the ante so that they can be superior. So that's important. And it when you are in toxic shame, it causes a negative internal dialogue where the way you speak to yourself, you shame yourself after a while. You can think about how you speak to yourself now. You know, I remember long ago because I had a hijackal mother, and I would realize that even though she was long gone, her voice had become my voice. I sure had to fix that in a rush. And it wasn't easy because it didn't happen in a rush, I'll tell you. At times of stress or times of anxiety or times of pressure or when somebody else suggested I could have done a better job, there was my mother sitting on my shoulder telling me I should have. And if I were a good person, I should have done this. But obviously, I'm not a good person because I didn't do that. And therefore, I should be thinking far less of myself and know that I am not worthy. So it causes that inner monologue. That's why I help people because I had to help myself first (laughs) and do all of that work. So I know these things and I'm happy to help you. And if you want my help, you can see that you can go to forrelationshiphelp.com, F-O-R relationship, H-E-L-P.com and get my help. If you'd like a one-on-one with me, I have a new client offer, a full hour for only $97. And you can find that at beaclient.com, beaclient.com. And that's easy. 
new clients only, one-time offer at beaclient.com. So we've got this negative dialogue going on that we've now internalized because we've had a hijackal parent. Uh, and then we start to avoid further shame. So we may stop doing things. We may stop trying. We may shut down things that we really enjoy doing because we're not good enough. People have told us we're not good enough. And we kind of recede. We get smaller and smaller. And we kind of contract. We get restricted. We don't try things because what if we're not good enough? What if we try something and someone tells us that we didn't do it well enough and we stop wanting to risk that or to even have the strength to risk that? So it causes all this negative self-talk. And you may be right now realizing that how many times was I told in some way or another that I wasn't good enough? You know, you've probably heard me say before on the podcast that I, I my mother had a, a phrase that she liked to throw around weekly at a minimum. And she would always say, it's a good thing you're smart, young lady, because you're fat and ugly. And she would say that to me so frequently that after she passed, I went through all their photographs looking for evidence of fat and ugly from the time I was born. Now, I may be delusional, but I didn't really find anything that told me I was too fat or too ugly. So thanks, Mom, for that. But that's what hijackals do. In order to feel better about themselves, they have to put somebody down. And if that's their child, they don't care because it's all about them. That's all they care about being validated, feeling superior to, having the edge over, being able to control someone. And if you control them with telling them how a horrible human they are, and they're small, they will eventually believe that. It will become part of who they think they are. And it's a problem. So what can cause this toxic shame? It could be abuse of all kinds, verbal, physical, uh, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, uh, neglect, people just not caring about you. You may think that you're not worth being cared about. Um, maybe your caregivers had mental health issues. Maybe your caregivers were addicted. Maybe your caregivers uh, didn't want children and they let you know. Or being in an environment where there is domestic abuse. It, they may not have been coming directly at you, but you heard it. You saw it. You were afraid of it. Have you ever had that experience where you're afraid of someone coming into the home, a mother or father, because they're either angry or angry and uh, drinking or addicted or any number of other things that make you afraid that they will see you and make you wrong and you want to stay out of their way? That's part of the shaming process. Maybe you had traumatic events. That can cause you toxic shame. You've heard stories about people who say someone dies and they say, it should have been me. You know, it was actually my seat on the airplane and I gave it up. Or I refused to take that person to that appointment and, and, and there was a collision and it should have been me driving. And they take on that toxic shame. That doesn't even come from anybody else. No one else would blame them for that, but they take it on themselves. 
And that's a way that you, you can take in toxic shame. Or here's a funny one. You know, when you have, well, it's not funny, laughable. It's strange, funny. That you have two parents who can't agree on how to discipline a child. And so they, one does one thing, one does the other thing. And it gets very, very inconsistent. So the child doesn't know how to be right, doesn't know how to get it right, doesn't know how to please, because if they do one thing, it displeases one parent and pleases the other and vice versa. So they get very, very caught in that. And maybe you have an emotionally unavailable caregiver. My mom didn't want kids. She made that abundantly clear in her behavior. I'm an only child. So it was very lonely. Um, maybe there was bullying. Maybe there was abuse. Maybe there was rejection. Maybe you're used to being gaslighted, where somebody is always defining you and you start believing what they have to say. So toxic shame is dangerous to our mental health. It truly is because there's an imbalance between shame and other emotions after a while. You're just overwhelmed with the shame. And then if you're still in a relationship with someone who's a hijackal, they will want to increase the shame level. Every time you seem to be feeling a little bit good, wham, they've got to say something or do something, right? And knock you off your pins. Just say, mm -mm. no, not having any of that. And that's very difficult. So remember what I was saying about shame touching the, um, the sympathetic and autonomic nervous systems. And it causes that reaction in us. And we feel exposed. And when we feel exposed, we want to hide. We want to make sure that rage isn't coming our way or criticism isn't coming our way. And then we turn into people who internalize the shame. And it makes us feel alienated from other people. We don't feel a part of them because we're afraid that we don't belong. We're afraid that we're not good enough to belong. And <clears throat> it's important to recognize that difference, you know, between the healthy shame of I didn't live up to my own standards. I'm not happy I did that. I wish I hadn't said that thing. That was cruel. I didn't mean to be indifferent, but what I said sounded indifferent. I might feel a little shame. But it passes. But what makes toxic shame different is also that we hide it in our unconscious, so we have become unaware that we have shame. It's become such a barrage at us when we we're children, perhaps, that we don't even know. It, it's something that's always been present. And so imagine how appealing you are to a hijackal if you're already a self-shaming person. They don't have to work very hard. I've said before that hijackals are notably emotionally lazy. Well, if they find someone who's already self-deprecating and shaming themselves, they know they won't have a whole lot of work to do. And that's very appealing to them. So it, it, it's attractive to them. And <clears throat> that toxic shame is easy for them to perpetrate and turn up the volume on even. And they're happy to do that. I know that if you're listening to this, you have been shamed. 
because you have had experience of a hijackal. Or maybe you're listening to help a friend to understand what's going on. And you can have a conversation about shame and being shamed. Or if you want to talk about it in a group setting, you can come over and be part of my Emerging Empowered community. Just go to joinintoday.com. Lots of great things there for you. Lots of conversations. We just revamped part of it this morning. We're adding a wonderful series of seven journals to give you prompts to write about different parts of the journey. So come on over to joinintoday.com and be a member. Your membership also includes two group Ask Me Anything calls with me every month, plus a Sunday seminar where I talk about a topic and then we talk about it together. So back to this toxic shame thing. Once you have been shamed, an outside event doesn't need to occur to trigger your shame. Your own thoughts and feelings can trigger it. You can become self-triggering and then you go into a downward spiral and you make yourself less. You feel inferior. Maybe you, you cannot function and that's what will lead to the anxiety and the depression that I talked about earlier. And this is something that was given to you, perpetrated on you by people who said they loved you. And that's very confusing. Um, Toxic shame leads to spirals and you can go down very quickly and you could feel very hopeless and, and know that if sometimes that happens, it could have been self-triggered shame that someone else perpetrated on you earlier. And now you've taken it on and you are doing it for yourself. And the good news is that with work, you could put an end to all that. It does not have to carry on. And that's such important work to begin to live your own life rather than the one other people determined and decided and shaped for you. It is such a great moment when we actually say, there are things that I think about myself that came from somewhere else. I just have never examined them. And now I will. And I find out in examining them, that I don't agree with them. There is no evidence that I am this terrible person or this inferior person. But I have lived thinking that that might be true. And if you're currently with a hijackal, you can note just how enthusiastically hijackals want to shame you. Small ways, offhand comments, sarcasm, anger, the silent treatment, rage, outrageous things, name-calling, all of this falls into the framework of shaming behavior, and it can lead to chronic shame anxiety. You start to be afraid of being shamed. Now, that's a whole other level of difficulty. You're already somewhat anxious. You're already hypervigilant, and now you become afraid of being further shamed. That can be debilitating. Again, though, with work, we can change that. We can change that. And you can emerge empowered. And that's why I call my work Emerging Empowered, because no matter what's been given to you, you can shed it and choose differently. It's not easy 
but it can be done, and you're absolutely worth it. So again, if you want to work with me and that sounds good to you, go to beaclient.com. Beaclient.com. You know, we we may not even know where the shame came from, but we know that it is being perpetuated and the relationships that we're currently in may be doing exactly that. So important to have a good look and say, how long do I want to keep doing this? How long will I entertain this relationship that is dedicated to causing toxic shame within me, within my children, within as many people as a hijackal can reach, actually, because it's part of their quest for power. Part of that is their quest for revenge, their quest for superiority. And shame is a very handy tool, particularly if you're a person who's previously been abused in any way. Then you will be even more particularly attractive to a hijackal. And if you don't heal the toxic shame, then it's going to lead to some aggression or depression where you turn the aggression inwards or you turn it on yourself. You take it in, but there's no outlet for it or eating disorders or PTSD or addiction, or you're going to pass it on to your children because it's the way that you unconsciously parent you know, all of those things. And it will lead to this perfectionism, this low self-esteem, irrational guilt, codependency. And yes, it will go to those dreaded should words. You will start to should on people until they internalize the shoulds themselves. So shaming is a form of narcissistic abuse as well. They up-level it, and it's important to know about that. If you haven't read Julie Hall's book, The Narcissist in Your Life, I recommend that you read it. And she says that narcissists use shame for these 10 reasons. See if any of these are check marks for you. Narcissists use shame to protect their inadequacies, externalize their self-loathing, That's a big one. Make others look and feel inferior. Feed their need to be superior. Control the self-perceptions of other people. Manipulate others to take undue responsibility. That's big. Manipulate others to blame themselves for their abuser's behavior. Now, how huge is that? You think that you can't make a hijackal happy and you think it's your fault? You're trying to make someone happy who's dedicated to never letting you make them happy. So you see how that's a self-perpetuating cycle of shame? Another way that narcissists use shame or any hijackal is to undermine and weaken your self-esteem. Oh, they're good at that, and they practice it so frequently. And they isolate or disarm others or drive other people to be self-hating. And they're even, the coup de grace is to to push you to be self-harming. They'll push you to be self-harming, whether that's emotionally by what you say to yourself 
or actually physically hurting yourself. So what can happen as a result of this is you'll get a pervasive anxiety. You're always looking over your shoulder. It's that hypervigilance. You may start to really come down on yourself, be maybe having some self-loathing yourself or wanting to withdraw just wanting to run away and hide under the porch, or you have a fear of intimacy or having people see who you really are because then you'll, you'll have more shame or you're, you're addicted or you're self-harming already, or you have internalized anger, or you find that you explode in ways that are totally unexpected to you so that that shame just bursts out. And then the perfectionism, and then the shoulds, and there's more and more and more of all of that. So you can see why you should say no to shoulds and toxic shame. Really important to know that you can say no to it and that it is important to do it. And of course, in the title, I very purposefully put the word should (laughs) because we need to say no to the shoulds. And if you find that you're shooting on yourself, stop doing that. Become aware. Make it an exercise. Listen for that word that may come from your mouth and change it. And here's the simple fact. Change it to could. I should do that or I could do that. It's among the options I have. I could do it. That is very freeing. Now, a hijackal will never want to give you that freedom, but you can give that to yourself. It is very freeing. And you'll find yourself, well, yes, those are all options, but it's not a must. I could. I could accept that value. I could accept that standard. I could accept that obligation. I could accept that duty. I could accept that level of correctness. But is it mine? Is it how I really feel? Is it what I believe? And I only want to accept things that I believe and that I want and that I'm open to and keep that self-examination, that self-reflection going. You know, one of the things that I just added into the membership and it will go live in a week or so is new Emerging Empowered Journals, as I said earlier, they're in seven parts. So whether you're just recognizing emotional abuse, there's a part for that. There's a journal for making the decision to go or stay. There's a journal for I have to stay for now, so what should I do? All of those, and they give you a prompt every week to write about, just to stimulate your thinking, to do some deep thinking and become more and more acquainted with yourself. So come on over to the Emerging Empowered Community at jointintoday.com. Many, many things to think about. I hope you will think deeply about these because mostly it's buried deeply. It has been implanted and watered and and added to over the years if you've been with a hijackal doubly important to notice if you've had a hijackal parent. So until we speak again, make very good care for yourself, including excluding shoulding on yourself. Practice self-care, and that's part of self-care. Talk soon. 
Thank you for joining me on the Savior Sanity Podcast today. I hope you've had some new insights, some ideas and strategies to help you gain clarity and confidence for moving forward toward greater emotional health and safety. You deserve that, and so do your children. If you found value here and would like to support this podcast with a dollar or five each month, please do so at patreon.com slash saveyoursanity. Learn more about how to work with me by a video conference, join my optimized circles, or subscribe to this podcast on my YouTube channel at my website, transformingrelationship.com. Talk soon.